Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, how are the strange deaths of a team of scientists and an indigenous woman in the Alaskan Arctic connected? A pair of cops must put their differences aside to solve the mystery in season four of HBO's True Detective Night Country. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, My Husband and Love of My Life, the man who asks all the right questions, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. <laughs> Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is Toby's <laughs> face. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat Did you know lady, I was left-handed? and author of The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hi, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hi, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. So, Kevin. Yeah. This is Monday's program. It is. What's coming up on the future Crime Writers on programs? Right, well, on Thursday, we're going to have a CWO Classic Rewind. We're talking about True Detective Season 4. We're going back to look at our reviews of True Detective Season 3, and we did it twice. We we did, like, in the middle of the series, and then we had, like, a, a roundup after the finale. And one of us changed their review, their thumbs up, thumbs down, after it, it was over. Well... I'm half looking forward to hearing that. And then next week, we're going to be talking about the podcast Cover Up Body Brokers. Okay. Uh, so I hear that Laura has something she wants to talk about right now in the chat portion. Yeah, the countdown to Exeter Lit Fest is on April 6th. Saturday is the main event here in Quaint AF Exeter. And we're going to be kicking off Exeter Lit Fest in the morning for people that are coming from out of town or people that just want to... Uh, Get an early start on the festivities. We're having a crime and mystery writers brunch at a local restaurant, and mm. we will have about 15 local, regional mystery and crime writers there, along with us. We have our keynote this year, Andre the Third, and we also have a really exciting featured author, Elon Wu, whose most recent book was one of the top 10 books of the year from the New York Times. Wow. Um, and then Saturday night, we are having a live taping of Crime Writers On at the Word Barn. I'm so nervous. The Word Barn loves us. Really? Last time I was at the Word Barn, it didn't go well. It went so well. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm, I'm telling everyone about it all the time. It went so well. well. Me too. But it was funny. Last night, Kevin and I were chatting about my dating life, and he's like, I don't want to hear any details about your sex life. What? And I was like, oh, but I just heard all about your sex exactly. life. <laughs> hypocrite. Damn hypocrite. <laughs> Yeah, I can't wait. I'm sure that all the same people are going to show up for the live crime writers on day. <laughs> no, I can't wait. No. It's going to be fun. So I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty excited to host people in Exeter and um, really looking forward to all the crime writers on listeners um, that have been sounding in on our Facebook discussion group about coming to Lit Fest. Yeah. Kevin, we'll have to get our microphones back for that, won't we? We have to get everybody's microphone, their stand, hook it all up. It's going to sound great. It's going to be incredible. All right. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to seeing the fans that show up for that, if any do. And I'm looking forward to finding out what we're going to be talking about. It's going to be a good time. All right. Well, I can't wait to talk about what we're talking about on this show. So I want to get right into it. Are you right. guys cool with that? We're cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm getting Toby wound up for this one. Let's go ahead and drop that first clip right now. Leading off. You live here all year long, all alone. It's like monks. What are they looking for? Digging that ice up. I think... The origin of life. Yeah, that thing. 
After the last sunset of the year, a group of scientists vanished from their Arctic research station near Ennis, Alaska. Police Chief Liz Danvers later finds the men were naked and flash frozen in the ice with no indication of how they got there. Five pairs of pants, the three shoes are missing. Okay. Maybe they weren't fully dressed when they ran out. What's the question? Why weren't they fully dressed? No, ask again. How scared do you have to be to run out in the ice without any shoes? Danvers reluctantly reunites with trooper Evangeline Navarro, her former partner still haunted by the unsolved killing of an indigenous woman. The uneasy pair seek to answer what happened at the Salal station and whether it's connected to Annie Kay's murder. But as an endless darkness settles over the night country, are greater forces at play? I woke her. Now she's out. She's out there. In the ice. Who's out there? She came for us. In the dark. True Detective, Night Country is season four of the HBO series and stars Jodie Foster, Callie Reese, Fiona Shaw, and Finn Bennett. Haunted both literally and figuratively by loss and isolation, the characters confront their own darkness living above the Arctic Circle. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about very significant plot points from True Detective Night Country. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Now, Kevin. Yeah. There's a lot of jump scares in this season of True Detective. We have to just talk about that, right? (laughs) There are a couple, but we may as well say that in the season finale, there is a scene at the very beginning where Danvers and Navarro fall into this ice cave and they're looking around and they turn suddenly and the flashlight catches the face of a guy who's standing next to them. And you and I and Livy Burdett's mom and dad were all watching this <laughs> and the four of us all screamed at the same time. Like children. Like, I don't think I've ever screamed at something I saw on television. So <laughs> The jump scare yeah. thing was incredible. Yeah, they're still not as good as the jump scares in the Fall of the House of Usher on Netflix. I would recommend that if you want to get scared. I don't like being scared at all. I don't either. Laura, did you find that there were jump scares in the season of True Detective? I did. And there was actually a point where I was like, oh, oh, no. I think it was the end of episode four. It was like that person was like, what? And it looks like some sort of zombie or something. No, that was a different jump scare. In the hospital? (laughs) And I was like, oh, fuck. I I covered my eyes. I was watching in bed. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep watching this because it's getting too scary for me. It's turning horror, like how when Stranger Things went horror. And I was like, too much. But then- It struck a better balance, but I was like, this is getting too scary. I don't know if I can handle this. Well, one thing I know Toby found very scary at Detective Season (laughs) 4 was the fact that Danvers kept having sex with a lot of men. So you fuck me with the bodies, then you come to actually fuck me. No, you want to or not? Yeah. He didn't stay in town for the lovely weather. He found her to be like a little bit scary and was confused by why all these men were having sex with her. Right, Toby? Well, first of all, I'm just going to come right out and say, and I, I, I almost never like look at what social media is saying about different things or whatever. I don't pay attention to that because I don't, I just have my own thoughts about things. For some reason, I was on, I think, Twitter and somebody was saying, who couldn't possibly like True Detective season four? And people were just like, it's just misogyny. Like, people who don't like this are misogynists. (laughs) And I saw it pop up a few other times. So I just want to, before I jump into all this, say I'm not a misogynist. (laughs) I don't dislike this because I hate women. (laughs) We know. But yeah, uh, Danvers, like, as a character, she's great. As a person who you'd have to interact with on a day-to-day basis, she seems like she'd be the freaking worst. (laughs) Like She's, like, completely unpleasant She's always like walking around with her police uniform on and being imperious and stuff. You know, the idea that she's like sleeping with all the men of Ennis, Alaska. I didn't get it. Maybe in Ennis, well. like, <laughs> no, no, I, I'm not even kidding. <laughs> so I just, I don't know. She didn't come off to me as the kind of person that like all bunch of people of any gender or sexual persuasion would be like, oh yeah, I want to spend more time with her. Right. 
have intimate moments. And we saw the sex and it did not look that great. Let's be real. It was very frightening to me. That was like so violent, that sex. And then when he like took out his mouth guard in the second one, I was just like, (laughs) but isn't that by design? Yes. You know, I mean, it's whether it works for you or not, it's written that way because it's, it's trying to show that these relationships are sloppy and transactional and it has something to do not only with sort of their broken character, but also kind of playing into the whole aesthetic of being in Ennis in the middle of a blizzard above the Arctic Circle and the isolation there. And Denver's just looking for companionship for more than just one reason, for more than just to pass the time, but because she's also suffering. So for me, I got that from the sloppy sex. Yeah. Uh, But I can see why someone else would just be like, this is HBO. I've watched eight seasons of uh, Game of Thrones. I've seen lots of boobs and floppy wieners, and this just doesn't And dudes fucking their sisters. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Saga from The Bridge. Remember? Those sex scenes were not hot either. (laughs) No, because she she would just be like, do you want to... Go have sex. Do you want to take your clothes off or whatever she used to say to people? Do you want to fuck? (laughs) Exactly. I mean, it's not just like that scene. It's like the idea that Saga at least was like you could feel some kind of warmth for her and feel like she was trying to do the right thing. And, you know, you might want to spend some time with her. Whereas freaking Danvers, it's just... She's so angry. She's just angry and just unpleasant all the time. Mm. But you liked her character, right, Laura Bricker? I did because I just felt like both Navarro and Danvers were just so flawed that, I mean, it made me cringe. Like, I was just like, oh, God, she is so abrasive. But I think for me, it created very satisfying dynamic. Like, all the characters. Like, I just feel like all the characters in this were so fascinating to me in terms of the way that they were brought out because the only one that's relatively nice is is Peter, the little police officer. And that's one of the things you're cringing at is like, why does he continue to do everything at the beck and call of Danvers? You know what I mean? But it's just, it's this dynamic that's created with these characters. I think, I think it went for me along with the scene in Alaska being dark and like, you're kind of at the end of the world. And like, this is what happens to people that go out there. Yeah. And this is this is like the edge of darkness or something. Kevin, you can't argue. I mean, maybe Toby will. But <laughs> you can't argue with the fact that the idea of setting a season of this show in the sort of the endless night that is the months in the part of Alaska where it's like literally pitch black mm-hmm. for months of the year. I mean, it is a great setting for a series where the central focus is like a murder mystery, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I would see this as like a good attempt at like an American version of Scandi Noir because True Detective has always sort of attempted to be like this neo-Gothic setting. So maybe this is more like, I don't want to say Alaskan Noir, but sort of this like remote Alaskan Gothic idea. Like in the other seasons, like think about like Louisiana and industrial LA, like that was the thing they were going for. So The Long Night in Alaska is like, it's fascinating, sort of all-encompassing. It reminds me a little bit of Trapped, which was a Scandi Noir. It was set in Iceland, and of course this was shot in Iceland, so it has sort of that same kind of town socked in by snow on top of permafrost, you know, that kind of feeling to it. So it's unlike almost any detective show that we've seen. And also it just makes like for rich thematic ideas when it comes to sort of being in the darkness in isolation, far away from people, you know, as you get into what the murder mystery is. Toby, you did not love the dialogue in True Detective season four, right? Yeah, I mean, I there there's stuff in this that I thought was fine, but I was trying to figure out how to kind of describe this. And I thought maybe the best thing to do would be to go and uh, get a little conversation and just whittle it down to the points they're making in their back and forth yeah. to kind of show how fucking not great it is. I'm going to have Kevin play Navarro um, in this scene. I'm going to make it even more inappropriate. Yes. Okay. We're going to do like a, yeah, role this play. is good. All I right. like this. Go ahead, Kevin. You- All right. So you can go ahead and be Navarro. This is a conversation from episode four, slightly paraphrased. Go ahead, Kevin. You're Navarro. I had this stone with the sign on it. You lost it? I had a bad night. Is this Holden's polar bear? I throw the polar bear into the snow. I don't know what you're thinking. There's no heaven or hell, no afterlife. The dead are gone. My sister committed suicide last night. What? I'm I'm sorry. She had all these mental illnesses, but what killed her was the curse. 
You're smart. You don't have to believe this. Also, you saw something at Wheeler's house, a ghost or a spirit. No, I didn't. You're a liar. You have to believe that stuff. I failed her, Liz. You don't understand. It's a curse. My mother had it too. It's something calls us and we follow. Stop it. It's calling me now. Stop it. Stop it. She's gone. Right, you're doing the thing that you did with Wheeler. Okay, where where you're you're seeing something. You saw something in that room. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. It's a ridiculous conversation. Mm. In that in the course of like three back and forths, Danvers goes from like complaining that there's no afterlife and stuff to like accusing Navarro of of seeing a spirit or a ghost at a crime scene and denying it. There's a lot of stuff where I was just like, people don't talk like this. And I can see if you're like trying to do like highly stylized noir to the extreme kind of thing. But I think they were trying to at times dig up some like actual issues that occur in Alaska. It just I don't know. I just read this. I was like, where was the editor to take a look at this and be like, this is a a completely ridiculous conversation. It's it's the same team writer and and editorial team that was fine with Navarro being beaten almost to death by three or four dudes and then being fine a few hours later and able to pick up her work and then being hit in the back of the head with a fire extinguisher and being fine. I mean, there's like this thing stretches reality. Let's just be real and let's just accept it. It's that shit happens on television. It happens to male characters all the time. And I'm not calling you misogynist, Toby, but it does happen all the time in television and action shows. And those are that's just a trope of action shows. It's very fucking unrealistic. I don't think the dialogue in this show is perfect. Don't get me wrong <laughs> at all. I don't. I'm not going to defend the dialogue. And that was a good illustration of its imperfection. The most the most um, unrealistic thing, I think, is when like, you know, Danvers falls through the ice and they're like shivering and freezing and they have no like dry clothes. And then the next thing you know, they're just like driving around in the truck again. I'm like, where did they get dry clothes? Are they still in the wet clothes? Why did they just leave in the truck during the storm? That was my question. Yeah. Why do they have to stay? That was the part I was like, ah, that doesn't really add up right there. Okay. Yeah, there are things you have to suspend disbelief with. Um, Like, first of all, they could transport this giant slab of ice from the, like they could dig down. The best. Saw down deep enough and get underneath to pull this giant thing out and then bring it into town and bring it to the hockey rink. Isn't the rink designed to keep ice from melting? Actually, no. The rink is actually a temperature where the surface of the ice melts very slowly all the time, so it stays smooth. Oh, okay. That seems reasonable. Um, <laughs> there's there's dinosaur bones or something like in the permafrost, because permafrost means permanent frost. Uh, and like they have this rookie cop that can like trace the opaque financial trail from the mine to Salal Station, you know, and that swirly pattern is on like tattoos and it's on rocks and it's on the head of the dead bodies and the dinosaur bones and they're just like how does this swirl like keep coming into play like i didn't get that and then like crazy enough back to the bodies they're trying to pull a body and like all of a sudden the arm snaps off yes oh yeah and it won't cost you an arm and a leg to join us on patreon (laughs) that'll come in handy for next week's too yeah 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 uh I was hoping for a callback, but way to ruin it, Toby, okay? Hey, it'll be a whole week from now. People will remember. People will completely forget all about that. Uh, you can get episodes of Crime Writers on early and ad-free at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You also can get great exclusive podcasts like the CWO After Show. This week on the After Show, we're going to be talking about Rebecca's new project. It's turning our son Henry's room into a home gymnasium. Why are we talking about that? It's so embarrassing. Because you got everything. (laughs) I didn't get everything. You got fucking everything. Speaking of everything, Laura Bricker is into everything in quaint AF Exeter, New Hampshire. Laura, in the latest episode of Leave it to Bricker, you go diaper diving. Oh, I yeah, um, that's that is the most recent one, the uh, adult diaper spa in nearby Atkinson, New Hampshire. But coming up in the next Leave It to Bricker, which should be out probably by the time you guys are back from vacation, mm-hmm. I will be learning how to saber a champagne bottle mm. at my book club. That looks great, and it looks dangerous. I think it is very exciting though, because not only are you working with a very a very sharp knife. Mm-hmm. mini sword 
You're also launching a projectile <laughs> at high speed. Yeah. So, yeah, the fact yeah. that everyone survived uh, seems amazing. Also, we've got Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Toby, it's actually not a, a book club this time. It's a movie review club. And, Toby, your panel is talking about Killers of the Flower Moon. How did it go? Uh, it was a really good conversation. I mean, I think we we had sort of similar thoughts about the movie, but uh, I think it was it's really interesting getting people's insights. It was a good panel to talk about this with a lot of sort of diverse areas of knowledge and uh, and outlooks. So, uh, yeah, I, I think people will like it when they check it out. We have almost 500 exclusive podcasts there at Patreon. Wow. We also have, people are loving this, our new Amazon storefront. Where Heck you yeah. can see some of our favorite things. Rebecca, Amazon influencer. Yes. What are this week's CWO Amazon recommendations? Well, I may as well put it on a list. Uh, I'm going to recommend the Bowflex ST552 dumbbell set. Mm. Oh. <laughs> and Toby, what are your listener-inspired deep cut recommendations? I'd like to recommend the Funny Donut Macaron Socks Box for Women, Girls, Teens, Fun Novelty, Cute, Crazy, Funky Cotton Socks, Birthday Christmas Gifts, A Donut Pair, Four Pairs, LXL. Mm. And if that's not enough for you, the Cosless Water Dental Flosser Teeth Pick Portable Cordless Oral Irrigator, 300 milliliter rechargeable travel irrigation cleaner, IPX7 waterproof electric waterfall. Mm. Huh. Those are good deep cuts. Yeah. Shop us first at amazon.com slash shop slash crime writers on. We earn commissions on qualified purchases. All right, so Kevin, before we end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Justin Nee and Britta Caravold. Bless you. Justin, Britta, thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon, and congratulations on being chosen to be Patreon Patron Saints of the Week this week. We really couldn't do what we do without everybody supporting us on Patreon. You really help us get our work done. Think about joining our Patreon. There's more than 500 shows back there you could listen to, and we're making more each and every day. All right, everyone, thanks so much for listening to the business section. Kevin, I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out right now. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. We got to talk about our friend Pete and his dad, right? Yeah. I was so afraid Pete was going to die because, you know, they kill. It reminded me of Mayor of Easttown, right? We have yet another young cop who looks just like Jason Moon. And we know what happened to that guy in Mayor of Easttown. <laughs> uh, I was also very surprised to learn that the actor who plays Pete. No, you're not surprised at this at all. Well, I shouldn't have been surprised. Finn Bennett, the actor who plays Pete, is actually British, British-Irish. Very strong accent. Perfect oh. American accent, by the way. Just like... Matthew Reese. Again, Nicole Kidman, I'm looking at you, man. Why can't you do it? Uh, she but transcends that, accents, Rebecca. It's incredible. Mm. It's incredible. I really liked that storyline. I actually found that his relationship with Danvers was very believable. Once you sort of got to understand a little more his relationship with his dad, I thought his dad was a real piece of shit. Uh, what did you think of the storyline between Pete and Hank? Yeah, I, I liked that storyline. I found it to be just 
very sad and poignant as it went on because you have Pete and you're watching him just give more and more to the job. His marriage is falling apart at one point when his wife throws him out. Denver's stepdaughter is like, you know, she just misses that guy that was so nice that was in like whatever it was like the basketball game and let this other person like make a shot because you knew that like his dad had had a stroke or something. You fell on your ass and then... Huey Larson scoring. Mm-hmm. She said that everyone gave you so much shit and you just had this stupid idiot smile on your face. And then she found out that Huey's dad had had a stroke. You fell on purpose, didn't you? Uh-huh. He was just such an earnest character and his father... It was just a sad, stark life that he had. He just wants to be police chief. You know he's crooked. You know he's getting scammed online by whoever this woman is that he thinks is going to marry him. You know, painting his house with like this god-awful color to prepare for her arrival. But when Peter ends up shooting him, I was struck by just sort of the trajectory of that character who now is going to be as flawed as Danvers and Navarro, who also have that other murder on their conscience for the rest of her life. Now he's got that same type of baggage that they have. So in the beginning, he was to me just like a much more pure character. I felt like he was like a promising character. He's young. You think he's kind of starting out. For me, I'm just thinking about that scene out there, like Alaska. And it's just like, does anybody that goes out there escape unscathed into that dark, depressing town on the edge of nowhere, you know? I have a theory about this season. Yeah, I think Pete is the true detective. No, I'm. He's I'm the actually, lowercase t. Lowercase. No, case I think true he's detective. the true. De- What's that mean? He's he's the real deal. He's the one who understood what the evidence and that first shooting meant. He's the one who put it all together. Mm-hmm. He's the one who was able to follow the trail of the money and pretty much you know give them all the tools they needed to solve the case. He's actually the driving force of everything they needed to solve this case. He is. He's the one who shoots Hank. He's the one who does everything necessary for this thing to come to a resolution. He's the one who does all the positive action. But he Um, never saw the handprint. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. He did not see the handprint. Yes. Yes. He's not the one that brought it to its handmaid's tale conclusion, which we... (laughs) But then, you know, back to to Pete, when when Pete goes out to that, that woman, Rose, like... Former Professor Rose... Former Professor Rose, who apparently just knows how to dispose of body, skin, animals, but can also whip up an amazing Christmas dinner. I sat down to polish some pompous, useless article, and I just had enough. I had enough. Every damn word I'd written in my entire life was meaningless. Making so much noise. So much noise. Rose is the Toby Ball of the Arctic, right? No. Rose is just out there living her best life, reading books. She wants everyone to leave her the fuck alone, smoking some dope, and is just like, close the door when you come in because it's cold out there, motherfucker. It's Alaska, of course it's <laughs> cold out there. You don't relate to Rose, Toby? Uh, she like quit the bullshit of academia to go and commune with ghosts on the uh, Alaska <laughs> uh, plains. She had a lot of sex, too. Remember, she talked about that. Did she? <laughs> yeah, because apparently, and, and Ennis, like, nobody is picky. So it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, if you're fit, if you're not, you're just, it's like, just a free-for-all. Rose, yeah. by the way, Fiona Shaw, also British. Yes. Yeah, we remember her from Killing Eve. She's in so many things. Yes, she's in so many things. So, Kevin, like, we need to talk about the Easter egg fan service stuff. There's yes. so much in this show. There is. Which I'm sure Toby thinks is super stupid. <laughs> well, <laughs> there were obvious connections back to the previous seasons. And you're like, oh, they live in sort of the same universe. I didn't pick up on a lot of them because it has been a long time since we saw season one. But I did do a little research into what these different connections are. So you remember in season one, Matthew McConaughey's character's name is Rust, right? He said at one point, he said his father had leukemia and moved to Alaska and went there and ended his life. I don't remember that detail. The ghost, it's Rust's dad. It's Matthew McConaughey's father. Is it really? Yeah, Travis. They even use his, his full name. Um, How did you figure that out? Good well, lord. Because, because oh, the writer all, of the show has been given interviews telling all the secrets. It's been great. Oh, yeah. And if you remember that back in season one, the corporate, well, in this, the corporate entity that's running all the shit in the Slalom Station, it's Tuttle, 
United and the Tuttle family was in season one. They were the rich family that set up that weird academy where they had the same universe. Right. Yeah, same universe. And of course, you know, the, the spiral that was written on the victim's back in season one and showed up again in season three. And like the birds like sw- fly in that swirl pattern from Matthew McConaughey. So that's very similar. Uh, when they go to Clark's like trailer, he's got all those twig dolls yep. like they had in season three. And of course, Clark says like the most famous line, which is time is a flat circle and we are all stuck in it. Also, you know, Danvers and Navarro, like their relationship fell apart while they also covered up a bad shooting. And in that last scene, Danvers is being interviewed on camera by two detectives, you know, with the panel background. It's like straight out of drinking out of a big mug, big mug instead of the Lone Star. beer. there's a lot of Lone Star beer, too, that just kept coming up in uh, in season four. So for those people who like fan service and can appreciate those little details, there's a lot of that. Yeah, I would recommend if anyone wants to know. The, the wrap-up stuff, the writer of this show gave a ton of interviews. There's an article in Slate about it where it's like, what's up with the ending of True Detective season four? She basically says everything. She basically says, this is what this meant. This is what this meant. Oh, no, this is what this like, meant. Like, is Navarro this- actually dead and is a ghost or yeah? That's supposed to be a little bit ambiguous. But uh-huh. That's like literally the only one. But she well, literally. Like, like literally how the tongue got there. That's sort of the one. Oh, she just she, she answers that question. Well, how did the tongue get there? The showrunner says that the woman left the tongue on the ground. Well, how did she have the tongue? She says that's not a part of our story. Yeah. But I think that she says just because it's not a part of her story doesn't mean that she didn't leave it's the tongue implied on the like they, That means that like they did everything except the tongue. Yeah, but I think that she's, she's implied that she was lying. She told the truth about... Yes. She totally incriminated everybody says, in that that's, room. That's but not says, a part of uh, our a, story. Yeah. No, I'm not buying I, it. I don't remember. Anyway, read, read what the lady said. That's just even... That makes it even weirder. You gotta read what the lady said. Anyway, uh, yeah, she answers all these questions. There's an inner article in Slate, but you can read her answering all these questions. Yeah. Hank was not super bright, right, Toby? I mean, he did think that that Russian woman was real. Oh, for fuck's sake. That was sad. Yeah, I wasn't quite clear on what was going on with that. Like, they spent a fair amount of time on that subplot, and the only thing that it really does is kind of show why he needs money, which yeah. is It also makes him gets... angry, right? So it also increases his level of anger. He seems like he's pretty angry in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you had to go through a whole subplot to make him pissed off. I really like John Hawks. As an actor, I think he's excellent. Like the yeah. acting in this is really good. Like Jodie Foster's good. Um, Callie Reese is really good. Like I didn't know who she was, but apparently she's like a former boxer. And she's like the opposite of like sometimes when you're watching shows and they have actors who clearly aren't athletes, like acting like the part of athletes. And you're like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't really. Where she's like, she's got like a serious like screen physicality like when she's beating up guys it's like yeah i can a hundred percent see that like when steven dorf walks into that bar in season three and just like basically asks to get the shit kicked out of him yeah another easter egg <laughs> oh i'd kind of forgotten about that although steven dorf was great in in uh, season three but again they just do they do weird things like when they go into the ice cave and then they suddenly pop up and they're in the lab like, how freaking far did they walk, do you think? Like, half a mile through ice caves? I mean, that seems like that would be a long way to go in an ice cave that's like that. And if that's so, like, how did they not know that the lab was right next to the ice cave entrance? I mean, it just yeah. seems like that would be, like, the biggest possible clue. It's like, oh, the the lab's, like, right next to the ice cave. Like, maybe that has something. Oh, I th- you just answered the question about why didn't they drive away in the car? Because they left their car at the entrance they drove away oh, in the true. Salal car. They didn't yeah. drive away in their own car. Yeah. They're not comfortable driving at night, I don't think. They knew. No, but they knew. Like that my the, mom. Okay. They knew that the cave was near the lab because mm-hmm. they were trying to get onto that property earlier and they couldn't because it was mine property. I think that they knew. By the way, that fucking cave was scary. And when she went into that little narrow thing, I was like, no, 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 no. Oh, That's yeah. like a worse nightmare situation. That's how you get stuck and having to cut your arm off. <laughs> when her body like barely That's- fit through those things. No, 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 no. Did you guys, when your kids were little, ever take them to like no, the polar caves I hate or caves. like Lost River? Because it was so scary. Like the lemon squeezer one, I remember going through. I was I like, I'm going to die. I'm going to get caves. stuck here. I'm going to get wedged in. I wrote a manuscript and like, just because it freaks me out so much, I had a part where they're going through like one of these 
Like if you've ever seen like videos of guys like really going through like these or or gals uh, going through these like really narrow caves where you actually have to exhale and then pull yourself along. Nope, nope, nope. And, nope. and then yeah, you can yeah. inhale again nope. and then you have to exhale. It's like that tight. Nope. That shit gives me night. Just like thinking about that. Oh yeah, fuck that. Yep. Makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Fuck that shit. Yep. Fuck that noise hard. Nope, 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 nope. What'd you guys think of the resolution? Like where are we? I, I just felt like when they tie the guy up in the chair and he's just like, and then this happened and that. I felt like oh, the torture so tidy. Scene? I don't, well, I don't so know. It's, it's always fun watching cops yeah. torture a guy, right? Uh, yeah. Um, I think the ending was a little too Handmaid's Tale, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, it's a good mystery solution. It, I mean, as far as mysteries go, like all the clues were there. We did meet the women. I mean, they we knew we knew they were at the scene of the crime. Like it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like so like like it actually I mean, I don't feel like it was cheating. I mean, I do think that sometimes the answers to these mysteries are cheating. There were some details like that were actually hypothermia after all, like the scratching of the eyes out, all that stuff that actually just was boring hypothermia stuff. But there was a little bit sort of this Pollyanna Handmaid's Tale thing where like all the women walk into the room while she's telling the story. Yada, yada, yada. I think I got but the whole like murder on the Orient Express of how they got rid of how they killed Annie Kay. First of all, everybody came yeah. down that ladder pretty fast. And I don't know why everybody had a reason to like fucking kill her. Like to keep her quiet. I know. Like if, if all of my you coworkers my, started my killing somebody, cores. I might like lay back. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Of all the weapons to bring, to I'm bringing, I'm getting cores. the ice cream. Yeah. Yeah, keeping the coat was a bad decision. <laughs> the influences or like the where the the ideas came from, like it's pretty open about. I think like the whole thing at the end where she, where he has to listen to the screams is basically taken exactly from Grizzly Man, where there's a scene where uh, Werner Herzog is listening to Grizzly Man's this guy who gets mauled by That's bears. Right. You know. Sorry, spoiler alert, but uh, <laughs> he, uh, you know, it's it's basically the same thing, except he's not wrapped up in duct tape and doesn't like lose his mind about it. And the whole slab avalanche stuff goes back to a mystery in Russia called the Dyatlov Pass mystery. So it's like you can kind of see where the ideas kind of come from, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's all all that stuff is like. Is good stuff to be pulling from, definitely. Right, and there's some invasion of the body snatchers, the screaming and the pointing, with the open mouths. <laughs> yeah. Trade invasion yeah, of the body snatchers that. imagery. And the thing. Yeah, the thing. John Carpenter's like scariest movies. Yes. Scariest movie. Great movie. Oh, fucking horrible movie. I mean, great movie. I, I can't, I can't even with that movie. Kevin, do you have any, like, uh, you have any hanging chads that bothered you? No, but I'm, I'm glad that they sort of left some of, like, the backstory stuff a little unresolved. Uh, you know, the whole time they were sort of leading up, you're like, well, why is uh, Danvers with Leah? They talk about, like, her dad not being there. We need to talk about it. And we keep having these flashbacks where a younger Danvers is with some little kid. So, you know, like, something happened. And I assumed it was a car accident because that, again, when there was a car accident, there was this whole, like, looking at each other thing. Yeah, I mean, I think also we don't really ever kind of know what these ghosts are. What what's they're the ghosts. thing they're just seeing? Yeah, but I mean, I think they come up around death. But also, is that real? You know, is there really a supernatural force there? I think trying to figure out exactly what it is sort of misses the point of reason why you have some kind of supernatural mystery to it. Is it the curse that caused Navarro's sister to like walk out naked into the freezing ocean? I don't know. I don't. I, I think it, that part is Navarro to me doesn't, dead. We don't know. Is Navarro dead? It's just sometimes just kind of like, um, you know, just kind of interesting to kind of leave some things out there. Where did the oranges come from? Oh, well, that's interesting. Were they really there? Were they really there? Well, I mean, I think that symbolized. I don't know if anyone else picks up on this. It's something that is the farthest away from Alaska that it could possibly come. I mean, other than bananas, but oh, bananas yeah. don't roll. You can't make a spiral <laughs> with a banana peel. You can't make a spiral with a banana peel. That's right. You tell, oh, yeah. But like all of a sudden it was like Stephen King. Like all of a sudden, like someone rolling out from yeah. under the bed. It's like, oh, fuck no. Fuck yeah. no, orange. We also had the polar bear, which was very lost. Just going to say. Yeah. With one eye. And that was the clue because the yeah. C- CGI animals were weird. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is like, this isn't a real polar bear. You know, Carol Baskin would be all over your shit if that were a real polar bear. <laughs> yeah, but it's not. It's clearly not a real polar bear. So my, my only other observation, and I, I don't I don't know if this is people agree with me or not, but it seems as though they take things that are real issues concerning sort of encroachment on tribal lands and then turn them into something a little bit different. So like the idea of the mine that's wrecking the aquifer. 
of the drinking water for, I guess it's just the poor people in town because it seems like some people get their water fine. But regardless, like instead of making it just like indifference or racism or whatever, they turn it into this thing where there has to be pollution in order for these scientists to extract some kind of bacteria that might make people live forever. And it just seemed kind of strange. Like it's trying to give this this sort of moral ambiguity to a thing that in real life there isn't much ambiguity for. It's rich corporations being greedy and screwing people for no other reason than making more profits. Anybody pick up on sort of like the aesthetic of all the homes that everybody's house looks like stuff that was they could build from the Fairbanks Home Depot and then you go to the inside the mine and it's like... <laughs> It's like Star Trek inside, like with all this, like, yeah, yeah, we got the sliding glass door thing here that obviously, you know, it takes a specialist to put together. I love that. Yeah, it's like a James Bond layer. Yes, exactly. I honestly really liked the set design of the show. I liked how in every corner of every house there was a giant pile of food and like bottled beverages and everything. I mean, that's Kinda what it looks up. like in yeah. Alaska. Yeah. That's what it looks like. And they didn't skimp on that stuff. And I thought it was really, really well Need done. a case of Lone Star beer. <laughs> Need a case of grape juice. <laughs> Big case of Capri Sun. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out, if they haven't yet, True Detective Season 4 on Max slash HBO, whatever we're calling it now. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for True Detective Season 4? Yeah, this is a big thumbs up for me. I really liked this season of True Detective. I loved the setting. I loved the darkness all the time. I loved the characters, like the the people that we had in this, um, just the performances by the actors were amazing. And, you know, there were moments where it got a little bit creepy and I was thinking it was going to be too much for me, but in the end I was okay with that. I mean, there were some issues. I, I won't give spoilers with the ending where I felt like I was like, eh, I'm not sure about how things wrapped up, but overall I like looked forward to watching this every week. I would sit there like counting down until nine o'clock on Sunday night so I could watch the next episode. And then I went back and rewatched it to see like, okay, what what clues did I miss when I had finished the season finale? So, you know, I remember during the COVID times when I was watching all of the Scandi Noir subtitled shows in my room of tranquility, this was sort of like a throwback to that era of my TV watching. So big thumbs up for me. Toby Ball, thumbs up or thumbs down for True Detective season four, Night Country. I think I'm going to go thumb sideways on this. I think there's a lot of good things in this. I think the atmosphere is great. The acting is great. I think all the visual stuff is really cool. I mean, this this hit me a lot the way season one did, which is that I thought it started off very strong. And then the last third to half kind of felt like it lost its way. I don't think the writing was that great, but... I guess I kind of have my expectation for what true detective is now. And I thought season three, if I'm remembering correctly, was pretty good, but every other one has ended up being disappointing. 
And I think because I was ready to be disappointed, it didn't hit me so hard. <laughs> I set my expectations on low. <laughs> yeah. So it's with the, when the bar is not that high, uh, it does clear it. So I give it a, I give it a thumb sideways. You know, it's another one of those things where sort of the balance between what's good and what's not good is so off that it can be hard for me at least to see the good parts of it because I get so distracted by what I find bad about it. But anyway, thumb sideways. If you like it, you like it. If you don't like it, it doesn't mean you're a misogynist. <laughs> Kevin Flynn. Uh, I'm a thumbs up. I think it's very creative. It's uh, unlike things that we often see, I think, the True Detective series, while it has been uneven. I'm looking at you, season two. Uh, season two, blue. <laughs> <laughs> I think that this was great because because of the setting, it lent really well to the whole story. The darkness symbolizes the unknown and the unseen and, you know, the harshness of the elements, very thematic, you know, the relationships between people and their pain. People are haunted by ghosts, uh, haunted by their past, haunted by their regrets. That's not even talking about the mystery. So I think that uh, I thought it was very clever. I thought the acting was good. And like Laura, I was really looking forward every Sunday night to watching it. And so that for me is a good sign. Uh, I'm a thumbs up. Yeah, I'm a thumbs up, too. I mean, I compare this a lot to Big Little Lies, which, you know, I, I think about Big Little Lies. It's like you describe it and it's sort of like an okay-ish story that, you know, it just does what it does. There are a lot of flaws in this, and I don't disagree with Toby about fundamentally about the flaws, but the bottom line, this is a series of scenes in an incredible setting with like a decent mystery and great acting. Uh, and I couldn't wait to hit play every week. Like, how can you possibly, how could I possibly not give that like a pretty damn solid thumbs up? Like, I enjoyed watching the show, even as sometimes I'd be like, wow, that was kind of stupid but i i really enjoyed the experience of watching it and i found it incredibly entertaining and yeah despite the dumb stuff i liked it i like i think it may be my favorite season of the show so far um so yeah big thumbs up for me for true detective season four night country all right now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast a little something i like to call the, the crime, crime of the week what he said the crime of the week Researchers are blaming AI technology for a massive cock-up on a recently published study. The paper in the journal Frontiers in Cell and Development Biology focused on sperm cells. But the diagram that accompanied the article featured an AI-generated rat with a giant Johnson. The rodent featured four testicles and a member so large it ran off the page. It also made up nonsensical labels for its anatomy, such as dysloctal stem cells and scent colic cells, and of course, testom cells. For some time now, academics have been warning about researchers using artificial intelligence to fake their work. More troubling is that editors at the prestigious journal, whose job is to scrutinize the science, actually published the diagram of the rat with a gargantuan pork sword. The authors from a Chinese hospital have retracted the paper and say they are working to correct the errors. So, panels, the editors missed this diagram of a rat with a hairy canary. What other AI-generated monstrosities should they be on the lookout for? What do you think, Laura Bricker? I don't know. Like, I, I, gosh. I mean, I'm thinking of, like, our next review, and I'm thinking hair that's, like, closer to God. But I, don't, I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I feel like AI is so scary. Like, I don't know if you guys saw that thing on Good Morning America this week about the AI that you can just tell to build something, and there's a video, like, Ooh. five seconds later. So... God knows what's going to show up. What do you think, Toby Ball? What AI-generated monstrosity should these editors be on the lookout for? Uh, for real, did you see that? I think it was like yesterday or two days ago when ChatGPT like kind of lost it and was uh, putting out answers in like some kind of patois. And did you see that? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I don't know if maybe that was a, a hoax or whatever. It was weird. Like I saw these screenshots of what was coming back to him. So um, cultural insensitivity. Is that what we should be thinking about? AI monstrosities? Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> appropriation, <laughs> AI appropriation. <laughs> what do you think, Kevin? What AI generated monstrosities should these people be on the lookout for? Bugs with jugs. Oh, that's a oh. very 
yeah. non-sexist answer. Well, I mean, if you got like a yep. rat with a giant dick, I mean, it's obviously, <laughs> yeah. that's what's next. That's going to do it for us. But before we go, Laura Bricker, I have to ask, do we have a cat of the week this week? <laughs> Going along with our outdoor winter theme from this review, there is this donkey that I have been following on like all the social media now on Instagram and TikTok. His name is Sylvester and he is the ski joring donkey and he lives in Maine. And I don't know if you all know what ski joring is, but it's like where you literally attach, you get on your like cross country skis or whatever behind a horse or a dog. Or a giant dog. In this case, yeah, or a giant dog. And they pull you all around. And there are all these amazing videos of Sylvester the ski drawing donkey who lives at the Alchemy Acres farm up in Maine doing all his winter sports. And he just is so happy and cute. And I just think I need a miniature donkey now. So Sylvester is the cat of the week. Laura, I have to ask, are you sure it's a donkey and not a guinea pig? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It is a, according to their thing. Yes, I know. Guinea pig hamster. They're they're all the same to me. Those were guinea pigs last week, not hamsters. (laughs) All right, Laura Bricker, if you want folks to reach out to you and submit their animals to be cat of the week, any kind of animal, especially if it's one that you are dying to have a correction on the following week, how can they find you online? You can find me at Laura Bricker on Twitter and Instagram. What about you, Toby Ball? How can you be found online? Uh, At Toby Ball, at H. What about you, Kevin Flynn? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. Well, if you want to follow me everywhere, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can follow the show everywhere. Crime Writers on Twitter, uh, Facebook, everywhere. But I really encourage you to join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group. It's really, really fun over there. Just find us on Facebook. Hit join the group. We'll let you in if you know any one of our names. We also have a really fun community on Reddit, by the way. Reddit.com slash r slash Crime Writers on. Get episodes early and ad free at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. You'll also get the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the fantastic Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement where we also play the twist and shout scene from Ferris Bueller's Day off on an endless loop on behalf of all the crime writers thanks so much for listening we will catch you later testom cells testimicles testimicles this is my testimicle Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.